0: Good evening to you. Our world is built on cause and effect relationships. Every cause has an effect. Everything you do produces something. Every innovation that's been achieved by inventors and engineers is the result of understanding which causes to put in place in order to garner the desired effect. God created the world that way. The mass production of clothes, lumber, cell phones, cars, all of it's a result of understanding the cause and effect relationships God put in place in our world. Tonight's lesson from Amos focuses on a series of cause and effect relationships which he uses as he speaks to the nation of Israel. In Amos chapter 3, that's where we're going to be tonight, Amos chapter 3, We have the first of three sermons he gives to the people of Israel. And he says, Hear this word which the Lord has spoken against you, sons of Israel, against the entire family which he brought up from the land of Egypt. You only have I chosen among all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. And so here in the very beginning of this sermon that he gives, he pronounces judgment on them but it's a judgment of effect god chose them out of all the families of the world he could have chosen any people that he wanted there wasn't really anything special about this people of israel that caused god to choose them in particular could have chosen anyone that he desired but he chose them and held them to a higher standard than others gave them the law gave them all of the the things they ought to do and When they didn't do it, therefore, the effect. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I want to talk about that for a minute, what it means to be God's chosen people. God chose Israel, and and today He chose us, the church. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, we read a, a very important statement Ephesians 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ, just as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we would be holy and blameless before Him in love. God chose us as His people. Not that we don't have a choice in the matter, but that he chose all those who would choose to be in Christ as his people today. His current nation. And being God's people comes with expectations on our behavior, on our character. And it also comes with a great amount of blessing. You read there that it comes with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. And comes with expectations as well. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 13. There speaking to Christians in 1 Peter 1 verse 13, Peter writes, Therefore prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves, also in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That was written to the old people of God, to the Israelites. And it still stands true today. If you address as Father the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay on earth knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold from your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. And so because we've been chosen and paid for, and because we've submitted ourselves to God, and, and because He calls us His people, We are to exemplify His holiness to the world around us and to each other. When God selected the people of Israel, again, He attached expectations to that relationship beginning in about Exodus 19 and 20 at Mount Sinai. And as His people chose to rebel against that expectation, and as they even had the ability to make that choice, so do we. But there is a consequence, an effect, attached to that choice. And you may be thinking, well, it would be at the judgment day when we are cast away from our Lord, the one that we wish to be with. That's sometimes looked at and sometimes seems like something that's very far off. That, that to choose against God today, maybe I can have a few good years that way. And perhaps I can enjoy myself on the earth that way for a while. And then deal with it later. There's something else. There is another effect that comes in rebelling against God. There is another consequence. And it's a far more immediate one. It's talked about in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Let's turn there. 1 Timothy chapter 4 verses 1 and 2 Paul says to Timothy, but the spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith. That's the rebellion, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons by means of the hypocrisy of liars seared in their own conscience as with a branding iron. And so here God identifies those who would reject the expectation of godliness as having a seared conscience, an unfeeling conscience, which no longer helps the individual feel the rightness or wrongness of their choices. That happened to God's people in the Old Testament. Their consciences became seared. And Amos chapter 3, let's turn back there to Amos chapter 3 and look at verse 10. And notice what God says through Amos about Israel. Amos chapter 3, verse 10, But they do not know how to do what is right, declares the Lord, these who hoard up violence and devastation in their citadels. You need to catch every word of that sentence. They do not know how to do what is right. Not just that they don't know what is right, and boy, if someone told me I could just go and do it. No, they don't even know how. They don't know the way to get to what's right. They don't know how to find it. They don't know how to do it. It's completely out of their wheelhouse, and they could never do it even if they tried. They don't know how anymore. It's not like riding a bike. You know, you talk about riding a bike and you say, well, I haven't ridden a bike in, in 20 years, but boy, I bet if I hop on, I can do it again. Well, that's probably true. Maybe. But you know, doing right isn't that way. You stop doing right for, well, I don't really know how long it takes. And God doesn't really tell us But I do know this, it's a lot shorter than you think it would be. And it would catch you off guard one day as it did the people of Israel that now they don't even know how to do what's right. These who had been given the law from God, whom He had met on Mount Sinai, whom He delivered all of His precepts to, now they don't even know how to do what's right. On many levels are humanity our existence it operates on a sort of pendulum swinging back and forth and i'm not the first one to talk about it that way won't be the last it's a good illustration you see it a lot it's a pendulum it goes back and forth from one extreme to the other and we can't allow our holiness to god to be on a pendulum swing and i thought man how can i how can i talk about that and I, All I can think of is that the devil's on his end and he's got a big handful of sticky tack and he's just ready to catch it and hold on. And he's not going to let it go. You see, holiness can't operate on a pendulum. We lock in place. We need to lock in place our position so that we remain by God's side. So that we honor His will and not forget Him every so often. God placed expectations on His people. He did so then and He does so now that we would be holy and obedient to Him. And when His people fail in that respect, He is willing to wait patiently for a time. God's not without patience. God's not without grace. We know that. He's willing to wait patiently for a time for them to repent, but eventually... Rebellion has to be punished. There's another cause and effect relationship found in Amos chapter 3, and we're going we're to transition to that. I want to read uh, back in the beginning of chapter 3. Amos chapter 3, let's go to about verse 3. He says, Do two men walk together unless they have made an appointment or an agreement? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion growl from his den unless he has captured something? Does a bird fall into a trap on the ground where there's no bait in it? Does a trap spring up from the earth when it captures nothing at all? If a trumpet is blown in a city, will not the people tremble? If calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? And now he starts to turn back to the spiritual side. If a calamity occurs in a city, has not the Lord done it? Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. A lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? And so here, Amos, after using several cause and effect examples, and I think it's kind of humorous the way that he uses those and how that we still see those things today a, a trap. For an animal, really hasn't changed much. You still open it up. I imagine that bear trap. You open it up and you put the, the pin in. I, I think, that's what I've seen in movies. You pull it open, you put the pin in, and then when something steps on the middle, it snaps shut. It doesn't snap shut if nothing's there. Cause and effect. Something has to be there for it to snap shut. Well, he illustrates the inescapable designs of God. He identifies God's activity toward His prophet's And the sort of relationship he has with them. And this, I think, is very, very important for us to grasp. In these days, in the days of men like Amos, God gave them what he calls secret counsel. Like a confidant like having a private meeting where you're going to discuss things that not everybody is going to hear from the one who says it. It's the word sod. It carries a concept of, like I said, a circle of confidants. And God makes known His plans and His secrets to them. Those, that circle of confidants, were the prophets of old. Those were the prophets of the Old Testament. Turn over to 1 Samuel chapter 3. I want to to let you see this play out. 1 Samuel chapter 3. I want to read starting in verse 1. Eli is the, the... priest, and Samuel has been dedicated to the Lord from Hannah. So in chapter 3, verse 1 of 1 Samuel, now the boy Samuel was ministering to the Lord before Eli, and word from the Lord was rare in those days. Visions were infrequent. It happened at that time as Eli was lying down in his place, now his eyesight had begun to grow dim, and he could not see well, and the lamp of God had not yet gone out. And Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord where the ark of God was, that the Lord called Samuel. And he said, Here I am. And then he ran to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he said, I did not call. Lie down again. So he went and lay down. And the Lord called yet again Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. But he answered, I did not call, my son. Lie down again. Samuel did not yet know the Lord, nor had the word of the Lord yet been revealed to him. So the Lord called Samuel again for the third time. And he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. And then Eli discerned that the Lord was calling the boy. And Eli said to Samuel, Go, lie down, and it shall be if he calls you that you shall say, Speak, Lord. For your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And then the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel said, Speak for your servant is listening. There's some important things here. About the way God was communicating to them. First of all, Samuel heard God speak. Eli didn't. Although perhaps in the same house you might expect someone to hear a voice that's just in the other room, Eli did not. And so there was a secretive nature to the communication from God. And number two, not only did Samuel hear God speak, but Eli was familiar with that sort of secret contact from God. And he expressed to Samuel, here's what you ought to say when the Lord speaks to you again. In Amos, we see that he recognizes that close and privileged relationship of a prophet and the Lord. And he understands it as a cause that carries an effect into his life. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 8, he says, The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? I want to take just a minute and talk some more about this relationship with God that they had. It was a special relationship in those days. There were men who were, in fact, closer to God than others. Now, some people today have made the mistake of continuing that thought into today's religion To think that there are some men and and perhaps women who are closer to God than others, whom God reveals things to who He wouldn't reveal them to others. Uh, Think about the priests and and people like that and the Pope and all of this. Uh, People believe that they are closer to God than other people and that they know things, they have knowledge that That God has given to them and not to everybody else. And the general populace in the Old Testament looked to these sorts of men for God's will. But today that relationship has shifted and it's important. It's crucial that we realize that. Today it's not the case that there are prophets to whom God speaks in secret so that His will can be made known to the masses. But rather, God has called each of us, every Christian, into that close and privileged relationship with Him. He no longer speaks in secret, placing His confidence in just one or perhaps two. Instead, today, He speaks publicly. He places His confidence in you, delivering His written Word to all of us. So that we may speak his word to others. I want to look at Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10. Hebrews chapter 2, and verse 10 and verse 11. He says, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father. Are you getting the idea that he's talking about Jesus? They're all from one Father. For which reason? He, Jesus, is not ashamed to call them brethren. You look in other passages and we're called children of God and sons of God. He calls us brethren. He's brought us into that close Privileged relationship which used to be only for the prophet. He has brought us into the family of God. And there is no closer relationship we can attain than to be his sons and his daughters. And in the same way that he entrusted his word to the prophets of the Old Testament, he has now entrusted his word to every believer to every child of His, every member of His family. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. I think the sentiment there is appropriate for us today. 1 Corinthians 4, 1 and 2, Paul says, "...let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards." that one be found trustworthy. And he goes on to speak that it's about being trustworthy before God, who has entrusted us with this great gift. There is not a single person through whom God does not intend to speak. In those Old Testament days, in the book of Amos, there was one, perhaps two, at the same time who God would speak through. And all others were speaking falsehood because he hadn't communicated his word to any other. Today it's it's the opposite of that. Today he's communicated his word to all and he intends to speak through all. Your salvation, your adoption into the family of God is the cause. It's the cause and the effect is your sharing of your hope in Him to all who will listen. This world, our existence, our life, is built around cause and effect relationships. And this is one. Our salvation and adoption into the family of God is the cause, the effect, is the sharing of our hope of salvation in Him to all who will listen. We must speak to our children. We must speak to our parents, we must speak to our siblings of the flesh, we must speak to our co-workers and friends, we must speak to those who will listen in any venue and any setting because the Lord has chosen us to be His people and being His people we are expected to behave in very specific, very holy ways. But again, need to remember, we all have a choice. We all have a choice in this matter just like they did. We can choose to live according to His holy standards or we can choose to ignore them. But remember, if you ignore it for too long and no man can say how long too long is, you will forget. You will forget even how. And one day you may wish that you could. Live that holy life. You may wish that you were the person that God wanted you to be so long ago. But you may be in a position, for whatever reason, where you can no longer even search out how. That is a a terrifying thought. And I hope that if anyone's on that path, leading away from God's Word, leading away from His holiness, that you see the darkness ahead of you and that you turn around while you can. Because there will come a time when you can't anymore. God doesn't want that for you. God doesn't want that for you. doesn't want it for anybody. Turn around while you can. Are you living as God's holy child tonight? Those who have heard and believed the message of hope in Christ, who have repented of their sins, confessed that belief in Jesus, who have been baptized into His name for the forgiveness of their sins, you are children of God. Part of His chosen people, His family, and that adoption produces an effect in you in your behavior. And if that effect, if you've been denying it and suppressing it, Tonight is a good night to repent. To return to the Lord's way. And He will receive you back. He is willing to forgive. He is patiently waiting for you. And if you've not yet become a child of God, the water stands ready for you to obey His will in baptism. Anyone can be a child of God. He's willing to accept all who will come to Him. And so tonight, if you're ready, or if you have any other spiritual need, You're welcome to come forward and make it known as we stand and sing.